Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by MI Market News. I'm Pedro da Costa, and I'm happy to welcome Dr. Simon Mongi of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis to the podcast. Simon is a senior research economist at the Minneapolis Fed and an assistant professor at the University of Chicago. He is also a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Dr. Mungi has done some interesting research on issues around job matching and the prospects for a soft landing that are all too relevant to today's outlook. So I thought I'd bring him on the show. Thank you so much for joining FedSpeak. Thanks. Let's start with the idea of job matching and what it means. Some economists have argued that it will take a substantial rise in unemployment in order to get inflation under control, but your findings, I guess, would suggest otherwise. Can you tell us why and describe what your findings on job matching are more generally? Yeah, sure thing. So first, let me try to summarize what this argument is, that essentially if we were to have a decline in vacancies that brings us back to where vacancies or job openings were prior to the pandemic, then that would necessitate a very large increase in in unemployment, um, which would kind of have the the Fed's idea of a soft landing kind of go kaput. The kind of the argument appeals to like a very clean theory that macroeconomists have of the labor market where there's vacant jobs and job seekers and they match in this kind of frictional labor market. There's jobs or vacancies that stay open trying to find the right workers. There's workers that stay unemployed or looking for a job um, where they're trying to meet the right job. And so in good times, which we can think of as where we are roughly now, unemployment's low and vacancies are high. It's very easy for workers to find jobs. There's lots of labor demands. There's lots of open jobs out there. And in bad times, which is where we'd be concerned about going, um, unemployment is high as vacancies are lower. So you know, the kind of the background idea of these arguments out there is that, you know, times right now are kind of too good um, and bringing inflation down and bringing vacancies down are, are, are linked. So I'm just going to kind of take that as, as, as a premise and kind of not comment on that. But, you know, that's kind of like the, the backbone. So if vacancies fall, this relationship hold, we'd expect to see unemployment go up. So kind of the second part of this argument is that if you look at where the economy kind of currently is, where there's very high vacancies, and they've been coming down steadily over the past eight months, but they're still kind of high, um, and there's very low unemployment, then there must be something that's really amiss with the labor market. And this argument, which has been kind of proposed by Blanchard, Domash, and, and Summers, they kind of say that that thing which might be amiss is some measure of like matching efficiency, that this process of bringing together empty jobs and, and workers is, is somehow broken. And, and so matching kind of, efficiency is exactly what your research focuses on, right? Right. And yeah, so we can kind of term this match efficiency and we can I can describe how we then maybe think about measuring that and I'll describe how I measure that in a second. And that means if I could explain the term, how, sure. how good employers are at finding their workers, basically? It's kind of symmetric. So rather than naming it kind of from one side or the other, but I've got like a pool of vacant jobs and a pool of unemployed uh, workers or job seekers out of those two pools how many new matches do i get so how many hires do i get if the market's working very efficiently give me a bunch of vacancies give me a bunch of unemployed workers i get lots and lots and lots of hires if the market's working very inefficiently i get not many hires for these these pools of vacancies and, and unemployment so this kind of argument that's being proposed says well because vacancies are very very high and because unemployment the unemployment that i see is low then it must be that this match efficiency isn't kind of deteriorated, right? Like, why would I see so few unemployed workers when vacancies are just, is just so high? Something must be going wrong. 
And so if you were to kind of think that that's a, a permanent change to the economy, that this match efficiency, bringing together vacancies and unemployed workers to create hires is, is permanently lower, then as vacancies decline, we'd imagine unemployment to kind of increase from where we are right now. So this argument that's being proposed basically takes the historical relationship between vacancies and unemployment and kind of projects it straight out through where the economy currently is with high vacancies and low unemployment. So that would give us like very high unemployment. My research basically said, well, look, we can actually just go out and measure this. We can measure relative to historical relationships, how many hires we'd expect to see in the economy when we have some measure of vacancies and some measure of, of unemployed workers and job seekers. I have some previous work published in the American Economic Review where we kind of construct these measures of the economy. So kind of quite simply is you can just construct these measures. And what I find is that this measure of match efficiency actually isn't kind of deteriorated relative to what we found pre-pandemic. And the reason that it isn't is kind of quite simple to kind of use an analogy suppose you have a dance hall and you have like 2000 leads and a thousand follows and you're trying to match those two sides together right so we've got lots of vacancies we've got lots of leads and we've got very few follows and you go well how many matches should i expect to have to expect to get and then suppose you were to kind of chop off a bunch of those leads so as opposed to 2000 leads you had 1500 leads and and a thousand follows well you can kind of throw away a lot of those leads without reducing the amount of matches that are created in that dance hall or in the in the labor market because you just have so much excess on one side of the market right so the fact that we're getting you know the amount of hires that we observe in the economy given we've got so many vacancies and so few unemployed workers isn't a sign of deterioration of the matching process in the labor market it's just that we've just got a lot on one side of the market and, and little on the other that kind of suggests, and this is an argument that's also been put forward by Chris Waller, who's on the Board of Governors, and his co-author, um, Figura, that, you know, when as vacancies decline, it's like removing those leads from the dance hall. It's not that we're necessarily going to get a large decline in the number of matches, i.e. the number of hires that are formed, and see a very large increase in unemployment. It's likely we'll just see a, a decline in vacancies without much of an increase in unemployment. And so, we're just in this corner of the labor market that we haven't really seen before. Is the presumption of the the, the labor market pessimists, if you want to call them that, is, mm -hmm. that there was basically a permanent structural hit to the job market because of COVID and that that has affected things? And you're saying that things have not actually changed that dramatically? There's been lots of hits to the labor market over COVID. There's lots of stuff that's gone on and is still going on. But in terms of this particular, there's this particular key piece to this argument in the Blanchard, Domash and Summers paper, which is that this match efficiency has declined, both declined and then extrapolating forwards that it's going to remain permanently lower. And the measures that we've constructed over it suggest that that's not the case. Now, like, how, why do we know how to construct these measures? Because following the 2008 recession, these measures of match efficiency were very low, you know, out six years after the recession. So our paper was published in 2018, we started working on that in about 2013. And a big puzzle in the labor market was why do we have such a low level of this, this match efficiency? Why do the labor why does the labor market look like it's not functioning very well in matching unemployed workers and vacancies? So if I compare the measures that I've constructed for the pandemic episode relative to, to the post-Great Recession, we're basically back to where we were pre-pandemic in terms of these measures of match efficiency. Whereas, you know, we were a long ways off post-2008. That was like a real a real problem. And there was a lot of research on it at, at the time. 
That's very interesting. So basically a financial crisis was far more disruptive in the medium term to labor market conditions than the multiple shocks that we've suffered since the start of COVID. Again, on that like particular measure, that's right. I mean, there's been a lot higher, there's been a far greater reallocation of workers out of the labor market, back into the labor market, across sectors, across occupations over the course of the pandemic, and that's still going on. So quit rates are still elevated, reallocation rates are still elevated. But this particular measure, which is like a key part of this argument, seems to be kind of back to where it was before when you... I wonder what you make of the fact that labor force participation and the employment population ratio have not caught up with their pre-pandemic levels, despite this apparent excess of vacancies that exists. I have looked at this and squinted often, and I find it kind of hard to see the drop off in labor force participation relative to pre-pandemic. Things were on the way up in 2019, especially late 2019, and you get an extra couple of blips in terms of the labor force participation rate. If you compare where we are now to, say, mid-2018 or late 2018, Labor force participation rates of, say, to take one measure, female between 16 and 64 are like exactly where they were before. Unemployment right now is like 3.5%. If you go back to mid-2018, it's around, say, what, like 4.1%. So go back to late 2018, like late 2019, it's a very, very strong economy. So if we compare it right to then, maybe it's like a little bit lower. But I think a lot of these labor force participation rates are quite close to what they were before. So I don't see that there is like a large piece of the labor force, which is not back to work. We're missing large immigrant worker populations. So that's certainly some pe- a piece which is not there. And that would constrain the labor force. However, if you look at, say, dis- workers with disabilities in the economy, their labor force participation rate has increased substantially, potentially due to the, the economy reaching further into the margins of the pool of, of labor, but also due to changes potentially in like technology and ability to work from home. And so can you talk about aggre- aggregate recruiting intensity, which is a concept that comes up in your work and how it helps us understand employment conditions? In our 2018 paper, which again was to follow up the Great Recession, where this measure of kind of the health of the labor market in terms of this match efficiency was low and depressed for a long time. And the question at that point was, is it because the vacancies are in one industry, but the unemployed workers are unemployed by from being laid off in another industry? Or is it because there's vacancies in the Midwest, but there's lots of workers who houses are underwater in Florida and Nevada, and they can't move to those jobs? So there's kind of a mismatch between the pool of vacancies and pool of unemployed workers. Our work was kind of followed on some by some work by Stephen Davis, Jason Faveman, and John Halterwanger, where they kind of dug into the firm level data on vacancies and hires, um, kind of the underlying data of the, the BLS measures. And you know what they found was that firms that are growing more quickly have a higher rate of hiring relative to their their employment, those firms tended to fill their vacancies much quicker. And so they kind of produced a notion of what they call kind of recruiting intensity, which suggests that it's not just the vacancies that we measure in jolts as these open positions ready to be filled from outside the firm within 30 days. There's also this other thing which is going on under the hood. 
And it looks like firms that are growing more quickly are filling these vacancies more quickly. So they kind of propose this idea of like recruiting intensity. What we did in our work was try to understand through the perspective of a kind of quantitative macroeconomic model, if we wrote down a model of firms choosing their vacancies and choosing this kind of unmeasurable recruiting intensity, and we had a model which matched their empirical facts on how hiring rates and vacancy filling rates varied in the the cross-section firms, and would that model subject to a financial shock give us any more insights into the movement of aggregate match efficiency after the, the Great Recession? Right? So firms potentially facing financial constraints, cut back on growth, as they cut back on growth, the vacancies that they're posting, they maybe use less recruiting intensity to, to try to fill them. What we found in the course of that study was that actually kind of quantitatively, what matters more for firms' choices of recruiting intensities is how tight the labor market is. So in a very tight labor market, or say a very, let's do the Great Recession, in a very slack labor market where you've got lots of unemployed workers and very few vacancies, then you don't really need to use that much additional hiring input in order to hire a worker. So what we kind of found was that those aggregate conditions really mattered for this firm recruiting intensity. And then we kind of wrote a follow-up paper using the data underlying the jolts at the going into DC and the offices there at, at the BLS to kind of study this more in detail and kind of found that that story held up. Now, in terms of the recent episode, well, we've had a very tight labor market, which means that if you're a firm and you're trying to hire, it's not enough to just open the position and have somebody walk into it. You're also going to need to go out there and try to recruit as well. So the kind of this recruiting intensity and vacancies move in the same way, both being the uh, same way as, as, as market tightness. So what we'd expect to see the inference that we draw from that study applied to the, the pandemic would be that if anything, we're kind of undermeasuring vacancies undermeasure the hiring pressure in the labor market, which I think kind of makes sense anecdotally. There's firms which are offering hiring bonuses, there's you know billboards advertising open positions. So there's a lot of these kind of extra margins going into hiring rather on top of just kind of opening the position up. That makes sense. Um, it's like it's like firms are in permanent permanent search mode. Yeah, in a tight labor market, you've got to do a bunch to to kind of fill, to fill, fill those jobs. What is, what are the implications of all this for a soft landing, and and how would you describe what a soft landing might look like? So very narrowly, and I think it's useful to kind of take this in the terms of proposed by in this paper by like Blanchard, Domash, and, and and Summers. I think their view of what a soft landing is is measures of the labor market that we have that we're familiar with vacancies unemployment quit rates etc are back to where they were pre-pandemic say take a measure in like 2018 and along the way we haven't managed to incur a massive spike in unemployment and inflation back down like along along the way what my work suggests is that on this narrow dimension of say thinking about vacancies there isn't this very tight like if then statement of if vacancies fall back to where they were pre-pandemic, then we must have this large increase in, in unemployment. On that dimension, the large stock of vacancies, back to my analogy from before, you can kind of knock a few of them away without having a drastic effect on the number of matches which are formed in the labor market. And those matches being formed in the labor market is exactly what stops us from having a large spike in, a large spike in unemployment. And I also wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the wage picture in, in relation to the labor market. 
Some folks have wondered if the labor market is truly hot and tight as it is often described, then why are wages still lagging inflation in your in your view? That's a good question. And so I think this kind of goes back to, okay, so I mean, to make the link back to vacancies, one question is, well, why are vacancies so high? Um, and again, like they've been declining. The way I describe the economy is one in which a lot of these things have been steadily moderating since basically spring 2022, like vacancies peaked in May, June last year, and they've been coming down slowly. And that the decline in vacancies has been coincident with declines in like quit rates of workers, which we also measure from the BLS JOLT survey. So there's been this like large reallocation of workers, which we see in these quit rates. Right? So these vacancies are soaking up a lot of this transitions ac across, across jobs. When you look at the data from, say, the Atlanta wage tracker, there's been raises of workers that have stayed in jobs, wage growth. There's been wage growth there, but a lot more of the wage growth has been attributable to people's switching jobs. And so there's been large reallocation of workers, again, from you know the labor force back into home at the outset of the pandemic, from home back out in the labor force into potentially different sectors. And then now from, say, uh, goods producing sectors back into services. And with each of those reallocations, workers are receiving wages, compensating them for having to switch jobs and switch, switch sectors. So I think unless we think that the pandemic has fundamentally altered preferences over baskets of consumption, maybe more people want treadmills and Pelotons in their house. And that's been like a, a realization. You know, maybe people don't want to eat out as much permanently. I'd imagine those things are probably pretty minor, but unless we think that something like that's happened, then... I'd imagine that the allocation of employment across sectors at the end of the day is going to look a lot like what it did in 2018, 2019. And so those quit rates are slowing down. These job-to-job -job reallocation rates are slowing down. And, you know, maybe that reallocation process is slow as we get back to kind of a more standard-looking consumption basket and the allocation of employment across firms kind of follows. From the workers' perspective, maybe there are new niches of the work of the labor market that workers have explored, which they've found out that they like. Working from home and things like that would, would, would contribute to that. But I imagine as this process of reallocation kind of slows down, those wage pressures will subside. In terms of keeping track with prices, it kind of depends on which section of the distribution you look at. David Auteur and Aaron DeBay, they produced nice plots from the from the CPS looking at wage growth across the distribution. And when you find that at the bottom of the wage distribution, if anything, wage growth has is, is, is exceeded prices. Right? So you do say real, real wage growth in, in pockets of the distribution. At the top end, not so much. But again, at the bottom end is where we see all the reallocation, the quits as well. You know, at the top end of the distribution, you know, lawyers went and worked from home, probably working for the same firm, come out of working from home, going back to work in the office, there's less of that, uh, less of that churn, we're seeing lower wage increases. So the top end, we see real wage declines, where wages haven't kept track with inflation. At the bottom end of the distribution, where those reallocation and churn is, as we move between services to goods and back to services again, we do see wages keeping pace with prices, and if anything, you know, growing faster than prices. That's really interesting. And then one last question, in terms of the balance of power between between workers and employers, it was generally thought that coming out of the pandemic, because again of this super tight labor market, high vacancies, permanent search mode, that workers finally got the upper hand after arguably decades of of not having so much bargaining power. Uh, but I wonder if that's shifting as things normalize a little bit. 
I'm still not like sure of the like very direct like empirical evidence on this, but the wage growth for say non-high school workers that are quitting jobs and moving to other jobs, you know, is substantially exceeding inflation. And so that's kind of consistent with this idea that, you know, with this higher mobility, um, you know, as firms opening up that need to rehire, their entire workforce is left to go somewhere else in the interim. They need to hire a bunch of workers back and you're going to have to pay them more in order to, to kind of get them back. Now, the question really is like, is that a one-time thing or not, right? Once you've reopened your restaurant, you have all your workers back, you're fully staffed. We're now just into the normal run of the mill, workers departing, leaving for other firms and things are kind of more stable. I think is this, again, kind of thinking about like the broad consumption basket of households gets back to what it is pre-recession. The distribution of employment across industries will kind of naturally follow. And as it does, those quit rates and reallocation rates that we see being kind of elevated at the moment will come down. And I guess one way to think about that is through saying, yes, you know, there's less desperation of firms to restaff these kind of product lines or services which might lead to like less of that, less of that wage growth. Great. We'll leave it there for today, but that was really fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your work. That was Simon Mungi of the Minneapolis Fed. Thanks for joining FedSpeak. Thanks very much, Pedro. I appreciate it.